drive time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information from the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. Now, here's your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Catholic Drive Time. This is Rita Carlos. I'm filling in for Joe McClain. And uh, praise be to God, we made it to Friday. It's Friday, everybody. You can let down your hair a little bit. You can loosen your tie up. It's Friday. What are you doing this weekend? We'd love to know. Join us on our live feeds and uh, and tell us. Tell us. Interact with us live. You can join the, on YouTube, Facebook, all those kinds of things. You can go to uh, GRN online forward slash CDT and you can see all of the platforms that we're streaming on to. And uh, we would enjoy talking to you today. Uh, today is Friday, October 21st, 2022, and today is the feast day of Blessed Charles of Austria. If you don't know who that is, look him up. He's incredible. He worked to end the uh, First World War and was the only leader to support Pope Benedict XIV's efforts for peace. He tried to prevent the rise of communism in Central Europe. He also tried to return power to he tried to return to power twice in 1921, but gave up at the risk of a civil war. He wanted to avoid the, the casualties of war there. He never gave up his crown, even when exiled to Portugal, where he lived in prayerful poverty until his death from pneumonia one year later. Blessed Charles, pray for us. Today on Catholic Drive Time, we have a lot of really cool stuff to get to. Today, uh, Gail Seiler is going to join us, and she's going to discuss her harrowing escape from nightmarish COVID-19 protocols from a hospital. And how that experience uh, inspired her not only to tell the story, but to create the Humanity Betrayal Memory Project that documents the patients killed by bad medical protocols, specifically due to COVID-19. And at 15 past the hour, we're going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about something interesting. Usually, we have a "What's Concerning Us" segment, but I figured maybe today we're gonna we're gonna take a, a look at history. And uh, you know, and and I, I thought about this because midterms are coming up. And you know what they say, this is the most important election of your life. <laughs> but uh, what, is what we have here actually working? Maybe it's time for America to truly become a Christian nation. So we're going to look at an article from the American Conservative at 15 past the hour. The interview with Gail is at 35 past the hour. And in our second hour, we're going to have Dave Palmer. And I just want to get you guys ready. Get your campfire going, because we're going to be talking about spooky ghost stories. He's going to talk about ghosts from the, uh, the perspective of Thomas Aquinas, St. Thomas, uh, and he's going to discuss that also today on Back to the Father. So we're going to, we're going to have him on as well. And uh, good morning to you, Mr. Hola, ¿cómo estás? Buenos días. Good morning. It is Friday, and I am so excited. Friday. Friday. Yeah, <laughs> we get to spend some time with, uh, with my little girls. You know, we get to go out and do something on the weekend, maybe celebrate uh, the great winning of the Houston Astros. Oh, know? they won last night. Absolutely. Hooray, yes. sports ball. Let's you know, they go. Make, yeah, they make it look so easy. You know, really, they, they, they do, and, and they're doing a great job, so... You know. Yeah, you know, the other day I was watching a, a, a video of a guy who corked his bat. Have you know about uh, bat corking? No. They, they drill out the center of it and put it, put, put it full of cork, ah. and it helps them knock the, the ball out of the park. Wow. Well, okay. they, were, they were doing it like, like it was easy. Mm -hmm. And I thought, hmm, maybe I'll uh, give that a shot. You Anyways. Know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're talking about somebody that's super easy right here, you know, Adrian. Onseca, how are you doing, sir? Buenos dias. Easy good morning. Howdy, howdy. Praise <laughs> be to God. It's good to be here. It's a it's a good day to be alive. I'm looking forward to the weekend. Got yes. some uh, 
some plans for the weekend. Um, there is going to be a talk given uh, at the at uh, a local parish on art on the on the Catholic view wow. of art. So I'm going to be going to there tonight. And that'll be a lot of fun. Are, so. are you going to do it? No, no, oh, no, no, me. not me. You know, you uh, have a doctorate in, in history and in art. It's so true, so true. <laughs> um, I, I have a PhD in whatever's relevant for the conversation I'm currently in. <laughs> um, so, hey, it's pretty quiet in here. Have you guys notice that? Yeah. Uh, where's our friend Poli Chicho? <laughs> Wasn't he supposed to be here? I I heard he was out doing some work, an extra job, uh, oh. with, the, with at the stadium. Oh, with uh, the Astros. I, I think he was working security, but I, I don't know. I mean, he, he is a police officer, so I, I thought he was working security. Well, um, maybe we'll hear from him during the show. Uh, maybe he'll send us a video or something. Uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, uh, I hope it's about the extra job, maybe security duties, maybe some crime prevention. Uh, that would be great. Yes. Well, in any Hopefully. case... We have a lot to get to today, and uh, let's jump in, pray for your holy intentions. Let's pray for Joe McLean, for his family, and uh, their vacation, for a safe return for them. And uh, also for the conversion of sinners everywhere, and for those holy souls in purgatory. Join me in prayer, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come before thee, I stand sinful and sorrowful. O mother of the word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. And now here's a couple of your headline news this morning. Good morning to you all. It is October the 21st, Friday. We made it again. And here's a couple of uh, news stories that you should be aware of. The Epic Times reports seven indicted in alleged a communist Chinese communist plot to force U.S. resident to China. And Quan Zong, who's 55, and, and his daughter, and Guangyang, 34, of Roslyn, New York, were arrested on the morning of October 20th and were due to appear before the district court for the Eastern District of New York for an arraignment hearing in the afternoon, according to the DOJ. The remaining five defendants were at large in China. The United States doesn't have an extradition treaty with China. Operation Fox Hunt is a widespread effort by the Chinese Communist Party to locate and repatriate alleged fugitives and dissidents who have left mainland China. China. The Communist Party's actions are done unilaterally, often illegally, and without any communication with or support from the U.S. government. Breitbart News reports electric vehicle owners shocked by battery replacements costing upwards of $20,000. Canadian electric vehicle owners have been shocked to find out that battery replacements for their cars, especially older models, top out at about $20,000. One EV owner shared his experience saying, At the dealership, a technician looked at pricing online and said to me, You're not going to like this, before delivering a bill of $15,000 plus labor and taxes. NTD reports police issue warning ahead of Halloween after fentanyl pills found in candy bags at LAX. Now, this is a story from L.A., but I think uh, with the widespread use of fentanyl, it could happen in your hometown, so be careful. They say with Halloween approaching, parents need to make sure that they're checking their kids' candy and not allowing them to eat anything until it's been inspected by them, the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department said in a news release. The giant seizure of the deadly synthetic opioid happened on October 19th after narcotic detectives and agents with the Drug Enforcement Agency stopped a suspect who was attempting to pass the airport security screening with several bags of candy and miscellaneous snacks. 
Upon investigating the packages, authorities discovered that inside the sweethearts, the sweethearts rather, Skittles and Whoppers candy boxes were fentanyl pills, the release said. So be careful. The Daily Signal reports the Pentagon establishes abortion travel fund for service members and abortion providers. A Pentagon memo obtained by the Daily Signal says that it will establish travel and transportation allowances for service members and their dependents as appropriate and consistent with applicable federal law and operational requirements to access non-covered so-called reproductive health care that is unavailable within the local area a service member's permanent duty station resides. So there are your hard tax dollars at work. This is your headline news this morning. God love you. The saint of the day is Blessed Peter of Teferno. He was born at Città de Castillo the, in ancient Tifernum in 1390. After in an uneventful childhood, Peter Capucci applied for the admission to the Dominicans. He and the frail youthful Saint Antoninus were both received into the order on the vigil of the Feast of the Assumption in 1405. Their novice master was Blessed Lawrence of Ripfrada. Peter counted his the artist brothers, Fra Angelico and Fra Benedetto, as his friends. Peter spent his novitiate at Cotorno and remained there when some of his community moved to Fisello. He was ordained and began his apostolate all in Cortona. Not much about Peter is truly remarkable when he is viewed in the light of his neighboring luminaries, but he glittered enough to have gained the attention of the church. He was noted for regular regularity, patience, and humility, virtues not terribly common in any age. He took upon himself the job of begging for alms as a means of atoning for his noble birth. Of course, just as we might treat the homeless, some treated Peter rudely, but that did not disturb him. He quietly persisted in his humble work to ensure that his brothers had food and that there were alms for the poor. We are told that one rich wine merchant refused Peter, saying that the barrels in the cellar were all empty. A little later, he found to his horror that they were indeed all empty. He immediately sent for the friar, apologized, and begged him to bless the barrels and restore the wine, which Peter did without hesitation. Other miracles were attributed to Peter, too. A woman's withered hand was restored. Two unjustly condemned men were miraculously preserved from execution. Once walking through the cloister, Peter came upon a disreputable man. Peter prophesied that this man would die within a day. The man laughed, but died in the middle of the night after having sent for Peter to give him the sacraments. Peter Capucci became known as the preacher of death because he used to preach with a skull in his hands. He apparently had the ability to read hearts and could expertly point out uncomfortable truths to the unwilling listeners. When Peter died, he was buried in a humble grave. Miracles began to occur there, thus his fame grew. A prominent man who had been paralyzed for three years received the use of his limbs at the grave after he had promised to pay the expense for an annual celebration in Peter's honor. In 1597, Peter's relics were moved to a more suitable place. He died in 1445, and his cultus was confirmed by Pius VIII in 1860. Blessed Peter of Teferno, pray for us. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel of this morning comes from Luke. Jesus said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say immediately that it is going to rain, and so it does. 
And when you notice that the wind is blowing from the south, you say that it is going to be hot, and so it is. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. Why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? If you are going, if you are to go with your opponent before the magistrate, make an effort to settle what the mat, what is the matter on the way. Otherwise, your opponent will turn to you, return you over to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the constable, and the constable throw you into prison. I say to you, you will not be released until you have paid the last penny. The gospel. Of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the gospel today presents the call on the part of Jesus to learn to read the signs of time. Jesus reports a universal human experience. Everybody in his own country or region knows how to read the face of the sky and of the earth. Jesus refers to the contemplation of nature since it is one of the most important sources of knowledge and of experience which he himself had of God. But they do not know how to read the signs of time. And Jesus draws the conclusions for his contemporaries and, of course, for all of us. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the face of the earth and the sky. How is it that you do not know how to inter interpret these times? Why not judge for yourselves what is upright? St. Augustine said that nature, creation, is the first book that God wrote. Through nature, God speaks to us. Sin mixes up the letters of the book of nature, and because of this, we have not succeeded in reading God's message printed in the things of nature and in the facts of life. The Bible is the second book of God. It was written not to occupy or substitute life, but to help us interpret nature and life and how to learn again to discover the cause of God in the facts of life. Why not judge for yourselves what is upright, sharing amongst ourselves what we see in nature? We will be able to discover God's call in our lives. When, when you're going to court with your opponent, try to settle with him on the way that he may drag you before the judge and the judge will hand you over to the officer and the officer will throw you into prison. He speaks of reconciliation. Let's forgive the sins of our brothers and sisters so that we also may be forgiven by our Creator. Stick around. This is Catholic Drive Time on this amazing morning. Uh, next, Coming up next is going to be a historic lesson uh, from Rudy Carlos about an amazing personality, an amazing person of the Dominicans. We'll be right back. Catholic Drive Time. Many atheists assert the only real form of knowledge is scientific knowledge, thus excluding any sort of religious knowledge, whether philosophical or theological. Such a belief is called scientism, and it's unreasonable for two reasons. First, it's self-refuting. Its truth cannot be verified by the scientific method. It's a metaphysical proposition, and as such, is not scientific knowledge. But if science can't verify the truth of scientism, well then, scientism itself cannot be a legitimate form of knowledge, in which case, it's self-refuting. Moreover, scientism undermines science as a rational form of inquiry, because it denies presupposed philosophical assumptions that are necessary to even do science, such as, there's an external world outside the minds of scientists. So, to reject God's existence on the grounds that it's not scientific knowledge is simply unreasonable. 
I'm Carlo Broussard with a ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. For victory in life, we've got to keep focused on the goal, and the goal is heaven. The key to winning is choosing to do God's will and love others with all you've got. Sacrifice, discipline, and prayer are essential. We gain strength through God's Word, and we receive grace from the sacraments. And when we fumble due to sin, and it's going to happen, confession puts us back on the field. So if you haven't been going to Mass Weekly, get back in the game. We're saving your seat on the starting bench this Sunday. Welcome home. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Rudy Carlos here, and uh, I thought I'd do something a little bit different today. You know, usually we do the uh, What's Concerning Us segment at this particular time, but uh, I figured we would take a page out of history today, and I would read you an article that I found pretty interesting from the American Conservative. It talks about a very interesting character in history. He uh, was a Dominican, and he went by, uh, uh, by the name Savonarola. And the article really expounds upon this, uh, this movement of nationalism, you know, this movement about uh, people caring about uh, the government. And I wonder if it wasn't a good opportunity for us to talk about theocracy, because it's one thing for us to say, on the one hand, Christ is king, and we truly mean it. But on the other hand, our government doesn't reflect that. So I figured I would read this article to you and uh, let you draw your own conclusions here. Again, this is from the American Conservative. This was written by Michael Warren Davis. And uh, let's, uh, let's dig in here. Article begins by saying, Salem is a city in Massachusetts, not Tuscany. That truth bomb was dropped a couple weeks ago by our friends at the National Catholic Reporter, otherwise known as the Catholic Distorter, or the Fish Wrap, as it's known in Orthodox circles. The author was making a point about what else? Christian nationalism. He thinks Georgia Maloney's conservative crusade is doomed to fail because her people have no appetite for culture wars. She preaches about God and family, but she is not married to the man that she's been living with for so many years. Other leaders of the right in Italy are in the exact same situation or worse. They campaign to cultural Catholics, but have no interest in Catholic moralization campaigns. If Miss Maloney really got her way, nobody would be happy, including Miss Maloney. Now, that's probably true, he says, but I still think that the fish wrap is selling the Italian short. Salem may not be a city in Tuscany, but Florence is. And for four glorious years, that city, the capital of the Renaissance, the home of Dante, Da Vinci, otherwise known as Da Vinci, and Machiavelli, was ruled by a theocrat named Fra Girolamo Savonarola. Savonarola's name is synonymous with his bonfire of the vanities those great pyres upon which his followers piled obscene books and paintings. But because we don't teach history anymore, even that reference is probably lost on most Americans. And truthfully, it was lost on me too because I'd never heard of this before. Now, the exception would be players of a video game called Assassin's Creed II, in which the friar appears as a minor antagonist, a squeaky-voiced fanatic who uses alien mind control technology to enthrall the Florentine people. The makers of Assassin's Creed, like the editors of the Fish Trap, assumed that men would never really willingly submit to a theocracy. The exception, apparently, is Massachusetts, which is hilarious. And it's also true that when Savonarola first arrived from Romagna, the citizens of Florence scorned him. Yet he quickly changed their minds, according to Savonarola's biographer, Michael de la Bedoyer. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. But, he says, at first they tried to laugh at this odd, 
ugly, God-intoxicated friar who had railed at their vices and the worldliness of the tyranny to which they submitted. He called out their sins. But their mockery had turned into fear, and from fear to love as the foreigner had touched them at their weakest spot. Savonarola had, had spoken not with human tongue, but with a divine one. This opinion was not shared by Rodrigo Borgia, otherwise known as Pope Alexander VI. At first, he tried to silence Savonarola by making him a cardinal, which I think is hilarious. But the friar refused, saying, A red hat? I want a hat of blood. And that's just what Alexander gave to him. He excommunicated Savonarola in 1497. A year later, he ordered that Fra Girolamo be tortured and hanged from a burning gallows. That seems a bit excessive, don't you think? Yet martyrdom was the perfect end to his astonishing life. In death, devotion to Savonarola spread throughout Christendom. Even Martin Luther hailed him as a founder of the Reformation. Philip Neri hailed him as the founder of the Counter-Reformation. Closer to our time, his legacy has been championed by John Henry Newman, George Eliot, Orestes Brownson, and G.K. Chesterton, just to name a few. The reason Fra Girolamo was admired by so many generations and so despised by our own can be found in his greatest sermon, the one he preached after receiving Alexander's bull of excommunication. In it, he asked the people of Florence to stand by him. In exchange, he promised them two things godly living, and good government. That sounds great. These days, we haven't much taste for either. Yet, I don't think we'll ever be able to completely forget this meddlesome friar. He's one of those singular figures whose life and works are startlingly, startlingly, startlingly excuse me, relevant to each successive age. Catholics and Protestants, conservatives and liberals, even Marxists have tried to claim him as one of their own. To understand why, we need to know a little bit more about Savonarola's life and times. Now, in Italy in the 15th century, that gave birth to some of history's greatest poets, painters, sculptors, and philosophers. It was home to a mishmash of those little oligarchies, each one of them unspeakably corrupt. Florence was the worst second only perhaps to Rome. In Florence, the oligarchs went by the name Medici. In Rome, they were called Borgia. The depravity of the age is well documented. And uh, I like that he brings this up because this is a good contrast to what we're experiencing here in our empire here, the American empire. Now, the first known outbreak of syphilis began in Naples around the year of 1494. The sex stuff is com uh, comparatively mild for those uh, plutocrats pooled hoarded power and wealth lawlessness reigned on their streets. In June 15, 1497, Pope Alexander's son, Juan Borgia, went to the ghettos of Rome looking for a date. Two days later, his body was dredged out of the Tiber. A boatman uh, admitted to seeing five men dump the corpse into the river. Now, why hadn't he reported the crime? Because he'd seen at least at least a hundred corpse, corpses dumped into the river. Nobody seemed to care. And this decadence was funded almost ex ex exclusively by exploiting Italy's lower classes. It was the first instance in the history of modern Europe when Christians began to practice usury or lending for interest. Usury is a sin in the Catholic Church because it allows men to make money without working for it. It's also just bad economics because it allows the rich to become richer by making the poor poorer. And the most effective usurers, like the Medici, used their wealth to dominate the Italian city-states. This is the Italy in which Savonarola appeared on in September 21st, 1452. He was expected to follow in the footsteps of his grandfather, 
who served as a court physician for the House of Esti. But in 1475, at the age of 22, Girolamo dropped out of medical school to join the Dominican order. Through undoubtedly a hum- though undoubtedly a humanist himself, he was deeply disturbed by how quickly humanism was displacing Christianity. Explaining his career change in a letter to his grandfather, he wrote, With all our knowledge of science, we're on the road to hell. And with all our wisdom, we have fallen into folly. Can you not see that the world is full of filth? Let us flee from Sodom and Gomorrah. Let us flee from Pharaoh and Egypt. Fra Girolamo slowly earned a reputation as a great preacher. One of his earliest and most faithful disciples was Pico della Mirandola, considered by many the greatest humanist of the Renaissance. In 1490, Pico convinced Lorenzo de' Medici, the Magnificent, as he was known, to request that Savonarola be transferred to the convent of San Marco in Florence. Lorenzo came to regret that decision. In 1489, Savonarola began to prophesy. A great cataclysm would befall Italy, he warned. A new Cyrus would come to punish God's people, and in particular the Medici. Reflect carefully, those of you who are rich, he thundered, for your punishment will come. Not Florence shall be the name of the city. It shall be called a den of thieves, of vice, of blood. And the people laughed. The Medici raged. And yet, like the rest of Florence, they couldn't quite bring themselves to ignore him. Under his leadership, the Dominicans of San Marco grew from 50 to 250. Many of the new recruits were drawn from the Tuscan nobility. His regime was austere. He placed a strong emphasis on fasting, manual labor, and constant study. But the men were joyful, prayerful, and tremendously proud of the chief of their chief, Savonarola. San Marco became the hub of Christian humanism. In 1492, Lorenzo, on his deathbed surrounded by toadies, including uh, not a few priests, he had only one request. He wanted Savonarola to hear his last confession. His quarters balked, but they had no choice. The friar was duly summoned. Lorenzo asked what he could do in those last hours to save his soul. Savonarola answered it was quite simple. He had to give back the money he stole from the people. But like the rich young man in the Gospels, this was one thing Lorenzo could not do. Even though he had no longer had any conceivable use for his money, he refused to give it up. Savonarola denied him absolution, and Lorenzo, he died in his sins. Then in 1499, Savonarola's prophecy came to pass. King Charles VIII of France began marching towards Florence. Lorenzo's son, Piero, the unfortunate, as they called him, immediately surrendered. He called Charles massive, he sent Charles massive bribes from the public's coffers and delivered key fortifications in exchange for his own personal safety. Outraged, the people of Florence revolted, and they ousted the Medici and begged Savonarola to deliver them, and he agreed, but on one condition. He said, You must confess that it is God who sends them. He leads their armies, and he is their general. Realize this and do penance. Showing yourselves wise in the expectation of God's help in these troubles, give up your sin, which is the cause of this evil, and you will be cured. At the behest of Signora, a kind of a city council, Savonarola met with King Charles, and the friar hailed him as God's scourge and thanked him for liberating Florence from the Medici. He hoped that France would perform the same kindness for all of Italy, but he also warned Charles that if his presence in Tuscany became the occasion for fresh sin, the consequences would be dire. If wickedness should by, the mean, by your means be increased, he told him, know that the power given to you from on high will be shattered, duly flattered, and probably a little frightened, Charles left Florence to liberate Rome. Savonarola had not only foreseen this trial, but he had delivered them from it. In their gratitude, the people of Florence proclaimed Savonarola their new leader. 
Uh, the article goes on to talk about some things that happened there in Florence under his care. I encourage you to read that article, but it concludes by saying this. Then, of course, there were the book burnings. Uh, excuse me. Uh, that's actually what happens next. The, there were the book burnings, the, the turning away from all of their sinful desires and all of these different things, the destroyed books that were obscene, artworks that were obscene. Mm-hmm. But it concludes here. It says, what makes Savonarola's unique among history's theocrats is that he never sought out the job. He wasn't, he wasn't angling for regime change. He only wanted to save souls. At the height of his power, Savonarola had placed over the Palazzo della Signora the inscription, Jesus Christus, Populi Florentini Rex. And the Florentine people cheered. But Christianity must be embraced as a religion before it can be accepted as political ideology. In other words, the people have to be Christian in order yes. for there to be a Christian nation. The citizens of Florence were all for theocracy, but in their hearts they remained unconverted. So the reign of Jesus Christ, king of the people of Florence, died with our good friar. Savonarola's life should be uh, an inspiration for the illiberal right, be they Catholic integralists, Christian nationalists, or national conservatives, but it's also a cautionary tale. America in the 21st century looks an awful like, a lot like Italy in the 15th. We need a Christian government now more than ever, but that's exactly why we won't get one. Or if we do, it will be as fleeting as Florence's because Christian government will never be accepted by non-Christian people. Or as St. Augustine put it, Christ is our liberator insofar as he is our savior. No salvation, no liberation. That's the deal. Anyway, it's something to bear in mind. Hope you enjoyed that article. Don't go away. After this short break, we're going to have more breaking news and stories. We're going to have Gail Seiler to talk about her escape from COVID protocols. Don't go away. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever noticed what happens when you try to keep up with the current fashions? You go nuts. When we are obsessed with keeping up with the times, we become slaves. Fashions are never settled. To chase something that is always changing is simply futile. It's not freedom, it's insanity. G.K. Chesterton says, The Catholic Church is the only thing that saves a man from the degrading slavery of being a child of his age. Christianity is always out of fashion because it's always sane, and fashions are always insane. The Catholic Church never has to worry about being behind the times because it is beyond the times. Want more than a minute? Visit our website, chesterton.org. We are a young and diverse generation helping those in need, and promoting human rights. We care for the environment. We embrace authentic witnesses and dream of a better world. Our passion comes from God, who loves us even when we fall and cheers on our victories. If you sometimes wonder, is there something more? Then come and see at CatholicsComeHome.com. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm Rudy Carlos, and here's some headline news for you this morning. Grand News reports an early rise in respiratory viruses in children is overwhelming some hospitals. 
A surge in respiratory illnesses among children is beginning to put a strain on hospitals. In particular, hospitals are seeing a rise in cases of respiratory syncytial virus, otherwise known as RSV, a common cold virus that could be associated with severe disease in young children and older adults. Cases are rising in multiple U.S. regions, with some already nearing seasonal peak levels, according to the latest real-time surveillance data from the CDC. Actually, I have a few friends who uh, had hospitalized two of their children because of this, so uh, do take care and, uh, I don't know, maybe uh, give them vitamins or something. The Breitbart News reports Texas AG Ken Paxson sues Google over biometric data collection. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxson announced that the Lone Star State will be be bringing a case against Google over the unauthorized collection of biometric data from users without their informed consent. In the latest of a long string of legal causes brought by the Texas AG against the tech giant. The lawsuit alleges that Google has collected millions of biometric identifiers, including voice prints and records of face geometry from Texans through its products and services like Google Photos, Google Assistant, and Nest Hub Max. And you know what? I'm surprised that Apple isn't part of this too, because uh, they compile all the, the, the photos in your in your iPhone based off of uh, facial recognition. So I don't know. Maybe I didn't read the uh, the terms and conditions uh, well enough, but uh, they they actually collect that too. Now, LifeSite News reports BBC prepares for secret scripts to calm the public's fears if major blackouts occur this winter. Now, this is a story about the uh, the uh, energy shortages that are happening all over Europe because of the Ukraine and Russian war. Article says the Guardian has obtained scripts from the BBC to be read over the air if a major power loss results in phone, internet, banking, and traffic light failures across England, Wales, and Scotland. The broadcasts could be received over FM radio or longwave frequencies usually reserved for Radio 2 and Radio 4, according to the UK news outlet. One draft of the BBC script warns that a blackout could last up to four days, with hospitals and police placed under extreme pressure. Another script for a potential news bulletin reads, Officials are saying there is no current risk to food supply and distribution, but they're asking people to look out for the vulnerable neighbors and relatives that they might see. Those were your headline news this morning. God love you. And now we're going to turn to our interview here with uh, Gail Seiler, who is a, uh, a, a uh, associated with a project called the Humanity, uh, the Humanity Betrayal Memory Project which is uh, uh, a collection of stories of different people who died from COVID-19 um, uh, protocols that um, uh, were really not in the best interest of people. Now, I happen to have uh, experienced that firsthand myself. And she has a very harrowing story of her escape from a hospital. Uh, really, it seems as if they were trying to keep her in the hospital and uh, and she has a really interesting story, so we're going to get her on in just a minute. But I, I just want to preface this story. This is a very personal story for myself. And we haven't heard a lot of these different uh, the stories yet uh, because I think it's just, I mean, we're just a year out from the height of the, the craziness of the pandemic. But there were a lot of people who were hospitalized. And, uh, and you know, the thing that really affects me about this is that in my particular case, my father was hospitalized. And I trusted the information that these medical so-called experts were giving me. I trusted that, that, they, that he needed to be on the ventilator. I trusted that he needed to be on this medication or this medication or whatever. I trusted them. And so many other people did too. But what happened? It turns out 
that a lot of these protocols were placed in there and were actually not for the, the best interests of the people. And joining us right now is Gail Seiler to talk about her harrowing escape. Gail, good morning to you. Good morning. It's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you for, for joining us. And, uh, you know, I ran into your story uh, on an article in the Epic Times. I also saw an, uh, an interview that you did um, with your organization uh, documenting this experience that you had when you first got COVID-19. Can you tell us uh, a little bit about how that happened for you, you know, getting COVID and entering into the hospital? What was that like for you? Well, um, so I I was fairly... I was fairly aware of the the right protocols and the bad protocols when mm. we went into the hospital. However, um, December of last year was a very busy time for the frontline doctors that would prescribe ivermectin and things like that. So mm. um, it took a long time to get the medication. And while I was waiting for the medication, my oxygen my oxygen dropped to seventy seven. Wow. It is kind of interesting to know, like I, um, the day before that happened, I went to get um, the monoclonal antibodies and I didn't qualify for them. Mm. And one of the qualifiers, once it was rationed, was whether or not you were vaccinated. Unbelievable. Yes. And so I didn't qualify for those and I did not get them. And so my oxygen dropped and my husband, he he's a former nurse, and he said, um, "Hey, we need to um, we, we need to make a decision. We need to go to the hospital." I did not want to go to the hospital, mm-hmm. but we didn't really have a choice. And so we had chosen Medical City of Plano here in Texas because um, Colonel Allen West, who was running for governor at the time, had gone there and he had gotten the frontline doctor protocol. And so we felt like we could at least get the right protocol there, even though it wasn't the best hospital. Mm. And um, when we got there, my they my husband brought the protocol with him, a copy of it, and they agreed to do it. And then they asked him to leave. Of and course. So, yeah. Yeah, so they only let one person in at the time, hospital. right? Unbelievable. And so once you were in the hospital, were they willing to cooperate with this different protocol? Because I know the frontline uh, protocol is completely different. It, it, it uh, suggests, mm-hmm. uh, I think, a, a different type type of uh, intake of vitamins, for example, to, yeah. to boost the immunity. Uh, it talks about ivermectin, which was famously uh, impossible to get in the hospital, um, right. just as it was. Um, did they Were they willing to do that with you? So um, initially they were. And, um, but they did, did not give that to me. Um, Mm. once the, once, when I got up to the ICU, uh, it was about 26 hours later. Um, and the doctor, the hospitalist that was assigned to me asked, he asked me, you know, orientate orientation questions, you know, what day it is, how old you are. Um, and then he asked me if I, if I was vaccinated and I said, no, um, I have a religious exemption and, you know, and I work from home. Yeah. I try to be polite about it. Yeah. And then, um, he patted me on the hand and he said, he said, I'm so sorry, Mrs. Seiler, but you're going to die. And he was not willing to give me that 
protocol that they had originally told my husband that they would give me. Wow. And um, and he said, your only options are remdesivir and a ventilator. And even then, you'll probably die. And so I called my husband and um, and I, told, I was very upset. I told him, you know, the doctor's saying I'm going to die. And my husband was like, what are you talking about? You know, he was recovering too at home, mm-hmm. but he was like, what are you talking about? I just dropped her off yesterday. I can hear her voice is strong even now. Mm-hmm. You know, when I would take off the mask, he would have me take off the mask. And he's like, her voice is strong. She doesn't need a ventilator. And, um, and so, so he kept, he kept telling me I was going to die and that my lungs were shot. And he was telling my family, even if she lives, she's going to, um, she's going to need a lung, a lung transplant. Wow. And, and yeah, and she's going to, which I I completely, like, I don't even have a scar on my lungs. So Mm. it was, it either, you know, wasn't true or it was a bigger miracle than I thought. So, um, so he kept saying that and, you know, I, I realized a couple of things at that moment. Like I realized that the gaslighting was so intense that I didn't trust myself to make decisions because when you're mm. told you're going to die constantly, you, you can get afraid. Yeah, and so, um, yeah. And so I told him that I wasn't going to make any decisions that all of the decisions had to go through my husband, mm-hmm. first of all. And then I told him, I said, well, I fired him. <laughs> I fired him every day I was there. <laughs> I was like, you're fired. I need a new doctor that knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And then I had said, since you gave me a terminal diagnosis, Trump had signed the Right to Try Act. And I wanted the right to try ivermectin and budesonide and hydroxychloroquine. Mm-hmm. I wanted the right to try, which he said no to. And then I said, and I need my priests to be able to come and that's, give me. Yeah, that, that's the ticket right there. I was going to ask you, you're a Catholic yourself. And so what was that like to hear you're going to die? Did you immediately begin thinking about, you know, the sacraments? Um, did you immediately begin thinking about the, the last yes. rites? Yes, I actually, I never realized, you know, when our priests would tell us, treat every confession like it's your last confession, mm. that really hit home when I was laying in that bed. Like, because I, I apparently didn't. <laughs> I was like, wow. you know, I, I, I thought I did until I realized I didn't at the most critical of times. And so it was, it was very desperate for me to, to get my, and I didn't, you know, I hold didn't that want thought, just any priest. Hold that thought, Miss Saylor. Uh, we're going to take a quick network break and we'll be right back after that. But we'll pick up again on the sacraments on the other side of this break. Catholic Drive Time, don't go away. One second. great if everyone read the Bible regularly? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. 
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question. Should pastors and churches place expectations and obligations on the congregation? Your average non-Catholic evangelical would say no, maybe even no way. It might be said, we do not need written order, discipline, or expectations. Those should derive from personal desire and from the Holy Spirit, not from a church. Or, each Christian's conscience should be sufficient for correction and discipline. Or, the Holy Spirit will personally lead each believer as to what church or to attend and certainly how often they should go. So here's your three best friends tools for Catholic evangelism. Natural law says human society cannot be well-ordered nor prosperous unless it has legitimate authority to preserve its own institutions, the Bible. Secondly, the Bible, which says in multiple places such as Hebrews 13, 17, obey them that have the rule over you. And thirdly, the Catholic Church says when we are properly ordered, we will be capable of resisting conformity to the contemporary demands of unhealthy individualism. So obligations, much obliged. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. We are speaking with Gail Seiler, and uh, she's telling us this harrowing story of her hospital experience with uh, COVID-19 and dealing with the COVID-19 protocols. Gail, welcome back to the show. Right before the break, you were talking about the, the sacraments. You know, the, the, the doctor was, was really pushing this, this, this idea on you that you were going to die. And uh, so you began thinking about those, those last sacraments. And I love what you said there, you know. It's true. We should really consider every every confession that we make as our last confession. Yeah. It may be because death comes like a thief in the night. But uh, wh- what was that experience like? Did they allow yes. the priest to come in? Um, not at first. At first, he said no. And um, after after a couple of days, the doctor, came, you know, my husband. Every time the doctor would come in. I would um, call my husband, and after a couple of days, the doctor said, "If you agree to take remdesivir, which is very harmful, it can harm your kidneys. Fifty-four mm. percent of the people die who take it." Wow! And he said, "If you agree to take the remdesivir, um, I'll let the priest come in." And he didn't understand what a priest does. You know, yeah. he was like, "I'll." let the priest come in and give you your blessing, you know, my little blessing. <laughs> and I, um, me and my husband said, okay, that we would do that, you know, with the intention of stopping it as soon as the priest got there. But um, I had to get, I had to get the priest there. I had yeah. to. And I, I care more about my soul than I do about my body. Yeah. And I just needed to let that part take care of itself, but I had to get the priest there. And I, I knew many people are denied that. And, um, you know, and I, and I didn't, I didn't want just any priest. I want, you know, we go to a traditional Latin mass parish. Mm -hmm. I wanted my priests to come or one of them. And, um, God sent my favorite priests. Not that we're supposed to have favorites, but yeah, that's true. I do. <laughs> you know, and so, yeah. um, and that's one so of those things, Gail, that cousin, that that a lot of people didn't get to get to have a priest in in, the, in those yeah, days. I didn't get one either. Even people just at home, sick or dying, yeah. in their last days, no, it was it was hard. Yeah, and that's right. difficult in the family. Yeah, the right. one thing that, I, that I'm sorry. Uh, one thing that I I wanted to um to bring up was. How the Pfizer director recently, like last week on October 11th, they they admitted before European Parliament that the vaccines were never tested for stopping transmission of COVID-19. And that makes everything 
so much more ridiculous about this whole conversation is that we it never was tested to begin with. Now, I'm not saying that it doesn't work. I'm not saying anything like that. All I'm saying is that according to the Pfizer director, they never tested it for the thing that they were telling us that it was doing. And, and then uh, they extorted you into right. into getting proper care. You know, they made it a condition. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. And and uh, with the work I I'm doing with former Feds Freedom Fa- Foundation, we we have something called the COVID Humanity Betrayal Memory Project, mm. and um, we're documenting these cases of people who who have been harmed. Most people don't make it. They don't survive the protocol. And so um, most of these stories are being told by the family member who's left behind, the husband, the wife, the mother, the father, you know, or sister or brother. And so, um, so we're documenting those. We even, there's even one story out there of a priest who came to America. Mm -hmm. He, he was from, um, you Uganda, I think it was Uganda, um, and he he survived a um, basically a Holocaust in his own country, and um, then traveled and he preached forgiveness and things like that. But mm-hmm. um, he was in America on a speaking tour when he got COVID, and. Um, was killed in an American hospital by these protocols. That's unbelievable. You know, one of the the, the, the big reasons for having you on, Gail, is because these stories really touch my heart. I mean, I ran into this story and I just, I'm going to be honest with you, I just started crying because I went through that myself, you know, um, not, not in the hospital, but my father had to go and be admitted in the hospital. And this was before, I think, the, mm. uh, the frontline uh, protocol was released. So I had no idea about any of this stuff. And I, I trusted, as I, I said before the interview, I, I trusted in their their opinions, the, the, the so-called medical professionals' opinions, you know, and immediately they were just telling me the same thing they told you. They said, your dad's not going to make it. And immediately they just put him on a ventilator. I asked about the course of treatment, and uh, it was basically just a ventilator. And they, they gave him fentanyl and all kinds of different drugs mm-hmm. that, you know, in hindsight, with yeah. uh, hindsight's twenty twenty. so in hindsight you're looking at it and you're thinking, they literally killed this guy. They killed my father. And I, I have all this guilt, too, because I, I didn't have, a, you know, the, as the advocate, I wasn't, I wasn't pushing back. One of the things that I enjoyed about your story was that your daughter was pushing back, calling senators and all of these different people to get yeah. you out of the hospital. And it's, uh, uh, I'd like to, okay. uh, to give you the opportunity to, to finish that part of the story, but also to talk about how many, how many people are, are sending the stories. You know, why isn't this... Yeah. the story being told. So, um, so there, when some, you know, basically now that we've gone through this, when somebody goes into the hospital, we can tell, tell a family exactly what's going to happen. You know, and that, you know, we've heard so many stories too, and we sort of knew when we went in there. So we saw the signs. So Mm -hmm. when they started to say I was going to die, my daughter started to advocate for, um, Things like the vitamins and, you know, I didn't, I wasn't allowed to have water for seven days. I didn't get nutrition for 12, the whole 12 days I was there. And so um, I was becoming weaker and weaker. And um, 
And so um, they, they only gave me one round of remdesivir, though, because as soon as the priest came in the morning, mm-hmm. we can't we we denied it. The doctor was furious, but we denied it any further treatments. And I truly, be- I mean, I truly believe. Like I knew as soon as the priest gave me the Eucharist, I was <laughs> that I was going to live. I knew it. I just God. knew it. You know, I stayed in prayer constantly. The rosary, you know, uh, constant prayer, constant prayer. And so, um, but my daughter on the outside, she was, she was advocating for all all sorts of treatments. My husband, she had gotten a hold of Dr. Richard Bartlett in Texas, who's mm-hmm. one of the frontline doctors, and he he started helping them advocate. And my he had my husband advocate for budesonide, mm-hmm. which eventually they did give me, but they didn't give it to me. They gave me two doses, ten hours apart instead of four hours apart, like Dr. Bartlett wanted us to have. And um, but we took what we could get. And so, and then I started, the doctor actually came in the next day and said, I've never seen this before. You're starting to improve. And I said, oh, I thought he was seeing the light. I said, oh, imagine what would happen if you gave it to me every four hours. And he said, no. And then they stopped, they were stopping some of the budesonide treatments and they were switching it out for albuterol. And my husband knew at that point, my husband and daughter, they knew that all of the advocating wasn't really getting us anywhere and that yeah. they were literally stopping something that was helping me and they knew that they were trying to kill me. And so I'm not, and I say that bluntly, they were, they absolutely knew what they were doing. Yeah. Absolutely knew that they were, they were, they were killing me and um, did not expect me to leave. And the whole time, you know, the ICU room has a window and I can see people being, you know, families coming in, leaving, crying, bodies going out. Ugh. So I, yeah. And so that was one of the biggest reasons I needed my husband to make the decisions because that can mess with your mind. Definitely. But at the same time, once the priest came, they, they didn't, there wasn't that fear factor. I was not afraid to, afraid to die at that time. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think I was going to die of COVID. I thought, you know, going to be murdered here in this hospital and and i was aware of the money that they get for the remdesivir for the vent and stuff like that and so i knew where they were going to lead me and they were upping my oxygen which leads that's a sign everyone that if they start increasing that oxygen they're trying to blow out blow a hole in your lung or get you to the vent that's mm. another method that they do and so um and so, and my husband being a nurse knew it. My daughter was in nursing school. She knew it. And so my husband, my, my daughter had gotten a hold of um, everyone I've ever helped get elected. I was a GOP yeah. precinct chair for years. Mm-hmm. She called everybody. Now I know who I'll work on their campaigns and who I won't. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know who helped. Um, Praise be to God. And Senator Bob Hall in Texas, he, he really, he helped and he, he got, them some information about the no patient left alone acts, those types of things mm. and arms my husband with it. Um, we had a Patriot attorney that jumped on board and started helping. And one, one really scary thing is my daughter was watching my records online mm-hmm. so that she could see everything that they were doing. 
And we had told them that I was not a DNR. I, yeah. I do not resuscitate. I was absolutely not a DNR. And they made me a DNR. And she would call me and say, Mom, they still have you as a DNR. So they were goofing and around I would tell, with you. They were goofing around with all they, your I would tell orders. the doctors. Let me ask you this, uh, because we're running out of time sure. here, but uh, I, I, I want to ask mm -hmm. you this question. And um, it seems to me like all of these different protocols, I mean, there were, in, I hate to say it this way, but there were incentives for, for the hospital if mm -hmm. somebody died there. Do you think that, that it was just money that was involved here and they were just kind of moving people along just to get their, their cash out? Yeah, I think it's money. I think I think part of it is money. And I think the other thing was is that um, Joe Biden had announced that there was going to be mass deaths of the unvaccinated in that time period. He announced it in August. Oh, and see. we have seen a lot of cases of unvaccinated people that were treated in, incredibly cruel and um, and pushed basically, I mean, euthanized yeah. in many cases, you know, we've seen medical records where it's the person was vented for behavioral reasons or Unreal. the amount of drugs that are given to these, these folks. And, and that they're told their family members are told they deserve what's happening because they're unvaccinated. It's incredible. And, you know, my, my husband and daughter knew that that was coming my way. And my husband and daughter stormed the ICU. Praise be to God. Gail, I'm really sorry to cut you off there, but we are out of time. And uh, if people want to check out more of these stories, check out your story, they can go to formerfedsgroup.org. That's going to do it for this hour of Catholic Drive Time. Stick around after the short break. We've got more Catholic Drive Time coming up next. This is Jesuit Father Robert McTague, host of The Catholic Current, where we bring Christ to the world and the world to Christ. We look at current events through the eyes of faith. I hope you'll join us each Monday and Friday for guests and topics you can't afford to miss. That's The Catholic Current, heard Monday and Friday right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network at 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Your only daughter met a fine young man who was a committed Mormon. She now wants to join his church. What's your answer? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, a reason for no. Doctrinal positions such as the deity of Jesus and the Trinity. Your reason for yes. You deem seemingly moral character as superseding biblical truth. Secondly, orthodoxy. Your answer is probably no. But how and why? Your resistance to Mormon doctrine does not just come straight down from the Bible. It comes from the first five centuries of brilliant theologians, bishops, and popes. These Catholics wrote, debated, and fought for truth. Example, in 250 A.D., 311, and 417, three different popes excommunicated three different heretics, Sibelius, Arius, and Pelagius. They denied the Trinity, the eternal deity of Jesus, or taught that human effort warranted salvation. Would your pastor excommunicate a heretic? Well, unfortunately, your pastor can only remove someone from his local congregation. But that's okay. That guy will probably end up being welcomed to the church down the street. I've been listening to Guadalupe Radio for a couple years now, and I think it was a bumper sticker I saw on somebody's car one time, and it's a radio station that I don't have to be concerned about or worried about. When the kids and I are driving, I don't have to worry about inappropriate items. It's just the opposite. It's educational. I've learned so many different topics and on different subjects that I couldn't believe being a Catholic 
and being baptized as a child. There's so many things I didn't know, and now in these past couple years that I've been listening in, I've learned so much. Are you on the CDT Insider email list? Hi, Joe McLean here. And every week I send you cool stuff straight to your inbox, goodies that you're not going to want to miss. Go to grnonline.com. Hello, my name is Vera. I'm from Holy Rosary Catholic Church, and you're listening to AM 1430 KSHJ Houston, part of the Guadalupe Radio Network. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. Welcome back to our, our second hour here. First hour was incredible. Love that story of uh, Savonarola. And uh, I want to say I love that second story there of, uh, of the COVID protocols. But uh, it's really a tough a tough thing to, to talk about. I wish we had more time with uh, Gail Seiler who escaped the hospital and the COVID-19 protocols. If you missed that conversation, you can check it out on our podcast feed, uh, probably, I don't know, maybe an hour after we go off air. But uh, you can check that interview out. You can also go to her website, formerfedsgroup.org. And there are so many stories there of uh, people who have, have written accounts of, uh, of similar, uh, similar circumstances, let's just say. And uh, I, I'm thinking about myself, maybe documenting that for myself. You know, for for my uh, for my uh, for my children, so that they know what this this whole uh, uh, group of years has been like. But uh, really, uh, an important story to talk about. Really, I mean, we're we're barely scratching the surface these days about uh, what what really happened during the pandemic. So, I'm sure we're we're going to talk about it again in the future. You know, as more people come out. But uh, we'll see. In any case, welcome to the second hour of Catholic Drive Time. And right before we get into it. I just want to invite you to join our mailing list. Today's the day that we send out the, uh, the email, and you could be part of that. We only harass your, your, your inbox just one time out of the week. We're, we're pretty gentle about it. We don't, we don't sign you up to all kinds of different other services or anything like that. It's just <laughs> a way for you to, to stay connected with us. And every Friday, uh, Joe McLean, he sends out a little piece of entertainment. Today, I'm going to be sending out a little piece of entertainment myself. And it's going to be really a, a, a great email. So check out uh, GRN online forward slash CDT to sign up for that. You can also go on to that very same website, GRN online forward slash CDT. And you can find all of those streaming pro, uh, platforms that we stream to. Uh, so besides the radio, if you want to join us for the after show, you can check out all of those different streaming platforms and join there and interact with us live as soon as we get off of the air. But in any case... We got a lot to cover this hour as well, and uh, I just want to say good morning to our good friend Dave Palmer. Morning, Rudy. Dave, uh, you know we we got the campfire over here crackling, and uh, we're ready for the ghost stories here. What does uh, St. Thomas Aquinas <laughs> say about ghosts? Well, <laughs> I, yeah, interestingly, you know he he doesn't. Well, let, let me back up. I'll tell you the reason why I thought of this topic in the first place is sure, because, sure. of course, we're approaching. Approaching Halloween, and in, in my neighborhood, and probably y'all's as well, you see all these spooky displays. And, yeah, uh, our neighbors have skeletons and ghosts and ghouls and all that kind of stuff. And I, I personally am not that bothered by that. I think it's it's a reminder of death, and we all need to 
kind of be reminded of that. But mm-hmm. uh, so I got to thinking, well, yeah, let's go. Let's have a some kind of conversation starter. You know, if somebody wants to put ghosts in their house, in front of their house, you know, well, what does St. Thomas Aquinas say about ghosts? Mm-hmm. And interestingly, as you might expect, the first thing that ghost would come into mind would be, of course, the third person of the Blessed Trinity, the Holy Ghost. Uh-huh. But that's not what anybody has in mind when they're thinking of ghosts. They're thinking more <laughs> of the... Uh, basically, a separated soul is what Thomas Aquinas would call it. You know, he, he wouldn't call it a, a ghost necessarily, but it's the same thing. And, you know, you got to also ask yourself, why do people find ghosts, you know, souls separated from a body to be spooky? And mm-hmm. the re- that's the same reason we find corpses to be creepy, because it's unnatural. And so uh, a, uh, it's it's a great teaching moment because a ghost is unnatural because a separated soul always would long to be united to a body. And so that that's kind of the first thing that Aquinas would say is that as a, a, a separated soul or a, a ghost, per se, is, is unnatural. Hmm. And does he say anything about, well, obviously, you know, when we die, the soul is separated from the body and it goes either to heaven to hell or to purgatory? Does he say anything about why these ghosts would uh, appear? Yeah, he doesn't really get into that part of it as far as he, he does ask a question of whether the separated soul, and again, that pretty much the same thing as a ghost, mm-hmm. would have knowledge of what's going on on Earth. He doesn't talk necessarily about going back and visiting, but, you know, if if our you know, grandma passed away five years ago and we, we, we say something or we're doing something. Is she aware of what's happening? He does ask mm-hmm. that question mm-hmm. and he says, you know, they, they can, but only with God's permission, you know, not uh. through their own power would they be able to know that it's not natural to uh, a separated soul to just know everything that's going on. But if he right. allows them to hear a prayer or you know, respond to something than they can. But as far as, you know, the, the Hollywood notion of ghosts, you know, in, in the room and traveling around the house and, you know, haunting houses and stuff like that, he, uh, to my knowledge, he, he doesn't get into that. I see. Yeah. Because, you know, there, there, in the culture, there's a fascination with ghosts. You know, you have all your ghost uh, television shows where they go into the, the abandoned asylum and they try and contact with all of these people. Do you think maybe that, uh, it's hard for me to wrap my head around uh, a multitude of souls having that per- permission from God, God's permissive will, allowing them to uh, stick around in that area, especially when you consider that a lot of these shows never really talk about the reality of death or the finality of of, of the, the soul, right? I mean, they never talk about heaven, hell, or purgatory. They just talk about how the soul wants them to know that they're still here. I mean, do you think that maybe maybe these these things that they're encountering are actually angelic beings but not the good ones uh could be you know uh you know that, that that's a good question and and interestingly and i, I think we may have talked about this a, a few weeks ago where mm-hmm. thomas says in heaven the the humans will be equal to the angels you know it says in scripture we will be like to the angels in, mm-hmm. in, in matthew's gospel so what people are experiencing, I mean, I think there's no doubt that there there could be some experience with some creature that doesn't have a body, but, you know, yeah. whether it's an angel or a good angel, a bad angel, a separated soul or a, a ghost, you know, that, that you know, I, I really don't know. I don't know what they're experiencing, but I guess it depends on what fruit comes from it. And I, I would think that a, 
a, a good intention separated soul or a, a good angel would not, you, you know, uh, obviously do anything, you, you know, bad or, or create. Oh, I think we lost him there for a second. Uh, we lost, uh, lost his audio Bomber, there. He's still there? He's nope, still with us with uh, video. He's, there's some yeah, audio he's... trouble there, but... Uh, Okay, how's that? Is that better? Oh, that's better. Yes. There we go. Here we go. Oh, okay, okay. See, so some a ghost. It was a ghost. Yeah, a ghost in the machine there. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Hey, so Jay. the the uh, one of the questions that Thomas asked in the Summa, he says, uh, or I guess it was more in the supplementary section of the Summa, but he says whether the souls who are in heaven or hell are able to go from thence. Thomas answers according to the disposition of divine providence, separated souls sometimes come forth from their abode and appear to men. It is also credible that this may occur sometime to the damned, and that for man's instruction and intimidation, they may be permitted to appear to the living, or again in order to seek our suffrages as to those who are detained in purgatory. So by saying that, the this is uh, it's implying that the souls can, in fact, appear to us, and that's kind of what we see as ghosts, and sometimes they are wicked souls and they will scare us, Sometimes they're souls from purgatory asking for our prayers, and sometimes there are the saints in heaven, And it, but it's always according to the will of God. Uh, what do you think about this idea, uh, Dave Palmer? Yeah, well, that, that's a good point. And, you know, I had gotten my information about the separated soul from the, the, the part in the, in the prima pars about human nature, and I, I need to go back and look at that part at the end where Tom, Thomas talks about the last things and the, the state of those in hell and purgatory and heaven and all that. So, so thank, thanks for bringing that up. But uh, clearly he does say that uh, there can be some traveling about, and, uh, you know, so that would give some legitimacy to people who think that they are experiencing something and why exactly god allows that to happen or yeah. you know uh, the, the i remember that story about divas uh, um you know where the man asked if he could go back and warn his brother you know after death mm. and uh, yes. basically the answer was the answer was no because they've got the prophets they they you know and if, if they're not going to listen to them they're not going to listen to what's already been told to them well, then, uh, even if somebody were to rise from the dead and goes back to speak to them, then it's, it's not going to make any difference in that case as well. <laughs> yeah, and even the uh, the apostles believed in ghosts, right? Because when our Lord came walking on the water, they were terrified. And they said, it is a ghost. And they, yeah. they yeah. cried out in fear. So the the apostles seemed to believe that ghosts existed. Um, and I, I think that says a very interesting point there. Though, I think back to Rudy's point that he made earlier, I'm of the opinion that most of the interaction with what we call ghosts are probably demonic. And the reason why I think so is because just like St. Thomas just said, where I read there, is that the these souls are permitted to appear to the living um, by God's active will. God allows them to appear to these people. It's not according to their own power they're able to do this. Whereas the demons have their own free will and their own they have a lot of freedom in being able to uh, do things in in the world and there's also so many demons in the world that they, it could almost be said the angels and the and the demons are part of the ordinary activity of the world and so i think that oftentimes especially whenever people go to mediums and things like that and they try to contact people mm -hmm. i think 9 times out of 10 these are actual uh, actually demons and not 
the ghosts of their family members, the souls of their family members. I say nine times out of ten because, of course, you have the story of the witch Vendor, uh, where the uh, they summon the the soul of of Saul, um, and he comes up, and it actually is him, the prophet. Hmm. So uh, there is an exception there, but it's interesting. What what do you think about those ideas, Dave Palmer? Yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense. Uh, I'm not sure about if most of them are, you know, are are, are bad. And, and, yeah. But I understand what you're saying about about free will. Uh, you know, I, I think most of us would say that, you know, when we die, we would like uh, there's a certain level of curiosity. You know, I think we'd like to come back and visit. You know, I, I think of that Hollywood movie with Patrick Swayze, Ghost. Remember that movie that came out <laughs> many, many a couple of decades ago? And, you know, you know, it's I think there would be a natural good desire to come back and help yeah. those who are, are left behind, like the story I mentioned in the Bible, where he wanted to go back and warn his brothers so they didn't end up in hell. And so I don't know, but it's interesting. But the only other thing I, I would say is that this whole soul body composite is very interesting because especially if you if people look at the platonic tradition of the separation of soul and body where the, the body is basically just a, a drag on the soul. And mm. when one dies, they're liberated because finally they get to kick off this body. You know, that's, that's a very platonic kind of idea. So I think when you think of the unnaturalness that Aquinas and Aristotle would also say about the separation of soul and body, it, it also would lead you into something like St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body, where you're understanding, well, what is the purpose of the body? Mm. Something our, our culture needs badly to, to know about. Yeah, amen. So uh, how can people tune in today to listen to, uh, to Back to the Father? It's uh, We're not on the radio. We're on all the social media sites for the Guadalupe Radio Network, YouTube and Twitter and Facebook. It starts at 1 o'clock Central Time, and it's me, and it's Cecil, and William, and Diane, and we have a lot of fun. We do trivia at the end, so... Uh, today we'll be digging in and talking about St. Thomas Aquinas on ghosts. Awesome, awesome. You know, and the, the other thing that uh, came to mind just before we go to a break here is uh, I, I, I got this wonderful pamphlet one day, and it talks about uh, purgatory. It's just about purgatory. And, uh, you know, it, it does uh, document the, the appearance of a ghost of a former uh, priest who comes back to the abbey to warn his brothers uh, that uh, actually he's not in heaven, he's in purgatory, and he needs a lot of prayers and masses said for him. So there are instances where uh, where we might encounter a ghost, and uh, perhaps they're asking for prayers uh, out, of, yeah. uh, out of all the things. So awesome. So uh, we're going to make sure to link the, 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 uh, the YouTube page there and the Facebook feed in our feed as well. And uh, if you want to join us for our after show, which is coming up just shortly in about 15 minutes, Make sure to go GRN online forward slash CDT and uh, go on there. And there's a fly out there with all of our different streaming platforms. So you can join us and interact with us live. Make sure to check out Dave Palmer's show, Back to the Father, today. And that's at uh, 1 p.m. Central. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right, Rudy. Thank you. 1 p.m. Central. Check out Back to the Father with Dave Palmer, Sissel, and all kinds of other uh, young, young people as well. So it's going to be a fantastic show. Thank you so much, Dave. Uh, thanks, Ruby. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. All right. Right after this short break, we're going to have our game show, Fear and Trembling, with uh, Jesus Robles. So make sure to uh, to hedge your bets and call in right now, one 757 9424 You could be the first person on the line, and today's the day that we draw the prizes, which is... A very beautiful handmade heirloom rosary. You don't want to miss out on this chance. Hang on tight. Catholic Drive Time will be right back.
My Protestant friends say the Catholic Church has added a lot of man-made traditions to the Word of God. Is that true? No, it's not true. Protestants go by the written Word of God alone or sacred scripture alone. Catholics go by the entire Word of God as it is found in sacred scripture and sacred tradition. All of the Word of God was originally passed down as oral tradition. Eventually, some of it was written down. This became sacred scripture or written tradition. However, scripture itself tells us that not all the things that Jesus said and did were written down. That's where sacred tradition comes in. Paul says this about tradition. 2 Thessalonians 2.15 So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught by us, either by word of mouth or by letter. Traditions taught by word of mouth and traditions taught by letter. Sacred scripture and sacred tradition. In 1 Corinthians 11.2, Paul commends them for maintaining the traditions as he has delivered them. Sacred scripture and sacred tradition. 2 Timothy 2 verse 2. And what you have heard from me before many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is an instance in scripture of Paul commanding the passing on of oral tradition. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. They received as the word of God that which they heard, not simply that which they read in scripture. In other words, the Bible clearly supports the Catholic Church's teaching that the word of God is contained in both sacred scripture and sacred tradition. A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. The Catholic trivia game show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. And now, your host, Joe McClain. Not exactly true. This is not Joe McLean, but as your friend Jesus Robles here on the Catholic Drive Time Show, keeping you informed and inspired, it's time for the game show, Fear and Trembling. I'm feeling it, Rudy. I'm feeling this right now. And I'm feeling that <laughs> phone call that's going to come in right now at one 757 9424 I'm feeling that phone call right now. You're going to call in and be the first caller and play the game. The real cool about this is that you don't have to know the answers to the to the questions. No, it's going to be up to Rudy, and it's going to it's going to be up to, uh, to Adrian to uh, discern and decipher those questions and come up with an answer. Now, you, as the listener, all you have to do is analyze their voice tone, analyze their sneakiness, pray a second about it, and pick an answer. If you don't know the answer, pick an answer, and you might be ending up in this cuppy, coffee cup of divine providence. So it's one eight seven 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 five seven nine four two four. That is the line that you can call right now and play this awesome game. There is a great rosary that right now Rudy's holding in his hand. And tell us, Rudy, about this rosary. Praise be to God. This is our our, our gift this this uh this week here. This is the game show prize. 
And it was handmade by the Luhan family who, uh, who actually gave us two rosaries. The one that we gave away last week was a beautiful turquoise color. This one actually is a wonderful marble color. And the centerpiece here features the Virgin of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. That also features a pardon cross. Very nice corpus here. And the person today that, uh, that gets drawn out of the coffee cup of divine providence is going to receive this. Now, why are we giving away rosaries? You might wonder. Rosaries, rosaries, rosaries. Well, here on Catholic Drive Time, we love to promote the Most Holy Rosary. Why? Mm -hmm. Because our Blessed Mother asked us to. And she also told us when she appeared in 1917, she said, you ought to pray the rosary every single day. So regardless of the fact if you win today or not, I want you to pull out that rosary and I want you to start praying that every single day. Not, not for me, but for our mother. Thanks be to God. Thank you again, Luhan family, for this wonderful rosary, which we're giving away today. And you know what, Rudy? I think it was so cool that you were talking about children. Because right now we have a beautiful child on the line. Oh, yes. I, and, and, you know, ch children are so courageous, and I love that. And they're ready to play this game show. Uh, Hudson, how are you doing? Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, Hudson. <laughs> Where are you calling from? I'm guys from Washington, that's for sure. Okay, all right, all right. <laughs> so, okay, Hudson, uh, do you, okay, so you know how to play this game? Yes, I do. All right, all right. So are you ready to win? Yes, I am. Okay, cool. Now, let me ask you, this is probably the most important question here. Um, who is more snaky or sneaky? Is it Rudy or Adrian? What do you say? I'm going to say it might be Adrian. Adrian. That is, that is Hudson, that's blasphemy. Ouch. Hudson, spe speaking against Adrian is, is, is a, look, he's crying, Hudson. Say something nice to him. He's crying. It's okay. Oh, Say something I'll nice to. It's okay. Can, can you come with something nice to say, Dave? Thank you, Hudson. All right, Hudson. So we're gonna make sure that uh, you get your name in the coffee cup of divine providence. Are you ready to play? Yes, I am. Chun, 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 chun. Chun, 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 chun. Here we go. <laughs> As it is uh, written in the book of life, here we have Rudy. He has been. Uh, given permission by the Holy See to begin this game as our first uh, contestant. I'm canonically regular, everybody. Yes, canonically, and here we go. Question number one, round one. Who is the patron saint of people in love? Patron saint of people in love. In love. Ooh, I love this Amor. Question. All right. That's actually St. Art LeBeau. Saint? And he's a recent saint. People used to call his radio program and they would say, <laughs> I want to dedicate this song to, uh, I don't know, XYZ woman, whatever. Lebeau. I mean, it, does, it does sound kind of, you know, good, that soft and gentle. Lebeau. You know, Lebeau. like Amor, yeah. you know? They fast tracked him because he died earlier this month. <laughs> <laughs> That's not strange. All right, uh, let's say uh, our wise one, uh, Rudy, I mean, R Adrian Fonseca. <laughs> I'm about to combine your names again. All right, Adrian, what say you on this question? Who is the patron saint of people in love? Well, you may have heard of this, this great holiday that's hmm. celebrated in February every year, and that is St. Valentine's Day after hmm. St. Valentine. Hmm. So it's just not a holiday? It's not I mean, just a holiday, you know? Hmm. It's actually for St. Valentine. So there's actually a name of a saint. Hmm. Ah, okay, all right. Well, let's see. Our friend Hudson, is it uh, Mr. LeBeau 
recently, a person that recently died and he just became saint like real quick? Or is it saint uh, or Valentine, saint Valentine that, uh, what do you say? Adrian, 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 are you sure? Yeah! Way to go, Hudson. Clearly, Hudson is yes. a man of talent. Yes. Very handsome young man. Extremely wise. Beyond years. Yes. Beyond his years. Witty and wise. Uh, Hudson, you are amazing. So you, your name is in the coffee cup of Divine Providence. We're putting your name in this cup right here. So let's go to question number two because we have a prize to give away a beautiful rosary. Question number two, Hudson, are you ready? All right, here it is. What is the term used to describe Catholic teaching that Protestant theolo theologians accept. Oh, the term used to describe Catholic teachings that the Protestant theologians accept. Mm -hmm. Yes, that is the fundamental articles, things that we the all agree upon. You know, fundamental articles, mm -hmm. Adrian. I, I mean, wow. I, I think that's just amazing. Just yep. that coming out. Just wow, brilliancy, brilliancy. Now let's uh, let's see. Uh, uh, Rudy Carlos over here. The what is the term used to describe the Catholic teachings that Protestants, the Protestant theologians, accept? Believe it or not, this is mm. the only thing that we agree on, and it's called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Hierarchy of Needs. Hierarchy. Maslow's Hierarchy, Hierarchy of, of Needs. Need. Okay, I got to pronounce that. Hierarchy of Needs. Exactly. All right, Hudson, so there it is. We have uh, our friend Adrian Fonseca saying fundamental articles as the answer, and we got Rudy with the Hierarchy of Needs. What do you say? Rudy. R Rudy? Are you sure? Are you, 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 uh, wait, wait. No! <laughs> no, 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 no. So close. So close. I'm so sorry, Hudson. I'm so sorry. I was about to no throw cigar. your name in there again for the second time. But it's okay, okay. Sorry. You can recover on this one, Hudson, okay? Okay. Are, are you feeling okay? It was just a little punch. Boom, right there. Now, now you're recovering, right? All right. Here we go. Third question. Third round. And the question goes to Rudy. What is the term for the interest or gain on money lint? Believe it or not, hmm. this is what the government does. It is. Huh. They collect taxes. They collect taxes. Taxes is your answer? Taxes is the answer. Taxes. Hmm. Well, that sounds, sounds pretty good. But let's, uh, let's go to the brilliant one, uh, Adrian Fonseca. What is the term for the interest or gain on money Lint. You know, we just talked about this exact mm -hmm. issue during the last hour mm. with Savarola. We did? We did. We did. And that is usury, a term for the interest or gain on money lent. That is the sin of usury. Usury. Mm -hmm. Huh. Okay, so let's go to our good friend, the brave one, Hudson, who's on the line. And he is going to be picking who is saying the right answer. Is it usury? As uh, Adrian Fonseca is saying, or is it taxes? As Rudy Carlos is saying, what Rudy. say you? R Rudy? I'm saying Rudy. Uh, are you sure you don't want to change that? Yeah, you want to want to change it. You, you sure you don't want to change that right now? Oh, he did! Yes. Wow, he's <laughs> But you know what? Taxation is theft. <laughs> oh man okay all right hudson uh, good job right there we got your name twice on this coffee cup of divine providence all right so let's uh pull out the names here who's it gonna be jesus who is it gonna be who's it gonna be oh i'm so here we go we got the cup oh he's shaking it that's shaking, shaking it. it yes 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 here we he's go shaking here it. we go 
Drummer's getting tired. I guess. My <laughs> little drummer boy. All right, here we go. Uh, oh, my goodness. I'm writing here. Okay, it's Vicky. Vicky, let's go. Vicky, 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 Vicky. Hey, I'm wow! Sorry, what a Hudson. champ! What a yes. champ! He says congratulations. What a what a good winner! Thank you, Hudson. Where are you calling from, Hudson? I'm coming. Uh, I'm actually I'm on the road to Guadalupe Mountains. Oh, really? Guadalupe Mountains. Wow, that's pretty epic. What yeah. are you gonna do there? Yeah. We're gonna climb the mountain. Hey, hey. let's go! Is he not with Joe over there? Is he is he traveling with Joe? Maybe he's hiking, hiking to her. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. Well, say say a prayer yeah, exactly. at the top when he gets to the top of the mountain. Please, y'all should go and uh, y'all should sing the Salve Regina or sing the Immaculate Mary at the top in honor of Our Lady Guadalupe. Amen. That would be pretty epic. Yeah. Co- congratulations. Well, th- thank you so much, husband, for for playing this you game welcome. of fear and traveling. Huh? Yes. I did. You're welcome. All right. Thank, thank you. Fun. Yes, yes, sir. Thank you so much. Okay, you have a good day. Man, that is awesome. The the, the courage that kids have to play fear and I trembling. I, I I'm really amazed. I've heard uh many children this week uh, play fear and trembling. Uh, it, it's it's great, and I think it's a great way to learn. That's yeah. our little secret here. Learn, have fun. Amen. Inspire people by mm-hmm. these, you know, these questions. I learn every day, and that's why I personally listen and vouch for and promote Catholic Drive Time. Praise it's a fun God. way to learn, and I take it right. I laugh at myself in the car. People think I'm crazy. I'm driving, <laughs> but I laugh at myself in the car. Uh, well, that's going to do it for us here on Catholic Drive Time. We are going to be off air, but you can join us on our social media feeds, and you can interact with us live for the next 30 minutes as we go into our after show. And I just want to say thanks. Can we have a round of applause here for Officer Robles for joining us this week to fill in for Joe McClain? Praise be to God. Thank you, Mr. Jesus Robles. Gracias, gracias, Catholic Drive Time CDT, my place to be. All Mi right. Casa. Until next week, God willing, God bless you and Mary keep you. We will see you then. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. The Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Welcome to the Holy Mass at Our Lady of Corpus Christi Chapel. Today is Friday of the 29th week in Ordinary Time. The intention for today's Mass is for all of our online viewers and for those joining us through Guadalupe Radio. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There is one God who is Father of all. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There is one God, who is Father of all. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Today, in keeping with the theme of the readings, we'll be using the prayers of the Mass for Promoting Harmony and the Second Eucharistic Prayer for Reconciliation. Brethren, let us acknowledge our sins, and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. You were sent to heal the contrite apart. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. You came to call sinners. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. You are seated at the right hand of the Father to intercede for us. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Now, Almighty God, have mercy on us. Forgive us our sins and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Let us pray. O God, who have taught your church to keep all the heavenly commandments by loving you and loving our neighbor, grant us a spirit of peace and grace so that your entire family may be devoted to you wholeheartedly and united in purity of intent. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. Reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Ephesians. Brothers and sisters, I, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to live in a manner worthy of the call you have received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another through love, striving to preserve the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, one body and one Spirit, as you are also called to the one hope of your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, this is the people that longs to see your face. Lord, this is the people that longs to see your face. The Lord's are the earth and its fullness, the world and those who dwell in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Lord, this, this is, is the people that, that longs to see your face. Who can ascend the mountain of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? He whose hands are sinless, whose heart is clean, who desires not what is vain. Lord, Lord this, this is, is the people, people that, that longs to see your face. You shall receive a blessing from the Lord, a reward from God his Savior. Such is the race that seeks for him, that seeks the face of the God of Jacob. Lord, this is the people that longs to see your face. Alleluia, 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 alleluia. Blessed are you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You have revealed to little ones the mysteries of the kingdom. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. 
Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say immediately, that it is going to rain. And so it does. And when you notice that the wind is blowing from the south, you say that it is going to be hot. And so it is. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. Why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? If you are to go with your opponent before a magistrate, make an effort to settle the matter on the way. Otherwise your opponent will turn you over to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the constable, and the constable throw you into prison. I say to you, you will not be released until you have paid the last penny. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. We've been hearing from St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians in our first reading. And as he so often does, there's the first part of the letter, which is more doctrinal, and the second part, which is more practical. And so we've been hearing, we've just finished the first part, and we heard him talk about things like how we have been called by God's mysterious plan to be redeemed in Christ, to be made God the Father's own sons and daughters, and how this is done through grace, through God's grace by faith, and how it is for both Jews and Gentiles, breaking down the wall of division between us, making us one in Christ. And he even, in now beginning the practical section, even goes back again to a bit of that doctrine, as we heard there at the end of the first reading, talking about rooting our oneness in the Trinity. After all, there is one Holy Spirit, thus one body, one hope of our call. There is one Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, one faith, one baptism. And there is one God and Father of all. And so given that we are rooted in the oneness of the Trinity, then surely, surely, we are meant to be one. And yet, as he begins this practical section, we then hear him saying that, nevertheless, there are things we need to do to actually preserve and live out this unity. As he says, striving to preserve the unity of the Spirit. I urge you to live in a manner worthy of the call you have received. Now, preserving this unity. In our Gospel reading, we heard our Lord Jesus asking people who knew how to interpret the weather, but he says, why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And that reminds me of one of the phrases that I think comes out of the Second Vatican Council, to read the signs of the times, to be able to look around us and see what is happening. You know, perhaps there is nothing more indicative of the signs of our times than division than the breaking of unity. And this breaking of unity might happen within a marriage, dividing husband from wife, or within a family, or it might happen within our neighborhood, within our workplace or our school. It might happen within our church, within our local parish, between Christians, in a nation, in the world. So many ways we might be divided. Late in the Easter season, there's one weekday reading later in the book of Acts where St. Paul is on a sort of trial in front of the Sanhedrin Council in Jerusalem. And it's always amusing to me that with one single sentence, he is able to divide the Pharisees and the Sadducees so they begin fighting against each other and they forget all about fighting against him. With one sentence, he divides them and they forget their goal. Well, if St. Paul could do that with one sentence, the Sanhedrin, 
How easy is it for the evil one to cause division in our families or our parishes or our nation? Or besides the evil one, we know there are others who might want to do this. You know, foreign agents, commercial interests, bots, or, you know, all sorts of people who, for their own reasons, may want to cause division between us. Now, we know that today, even before we get to the content of what's on our screens, just the very fact that we have a multiplicity of screens is already dividing us from each other. As is famously said, that social media seems to not be bringing us together, but driving us apart. Just the fact of all these screens is already dividing us, and that may be worth giving some attention to. But so today, today as we interpret the present time, as we hear St. Paul tell us, live in a manner worthy of the call you have received, striving to preserve the unity of the Spirit. What are some practical things we can do to mend disunity, to mend division in marriages, families, neighborhoods, workplaces, schools, the church, the world? I want to offer to you five quick suggestions that you might be able to put some of these into practice as you look at disunity in your relationships and see how you can mend them. The first one is something to stop doing. And that is, are you thinking negative thoughts about somebody else, whether it be your spouse or whether it be some other group in the world? First of all, stop thinking those thoughts. Don't dwell on them. Don't dwell on these negative thoughts about the other person. Are these thoughts coming to you from someone else? Is there somebody you know who keeps telling you these thoughts? Or are you watching or listening or reading news sources that keep telling you these things? You need to stop listening to those. Stop filling your minds with negative thoughts about the other person. The other suggestions are all positive things to start doing. Second one is that often in marriage preparation, there'll be some component that talks about learning other people's different personalities. Maybe it's reading the book, The Temperament God Gave Your Spouse. Maybe it's learning about Myers-Briggs. Maybe it's reading the book, The Five Love Languages. Any of these systems help us to appreciate that people have different personalities, different strengths, different weaknesses. Learn about one of these systems. Apply it to that person you know that you're having problems with. Come to appreciate them for who they are, which is different than you are, but good. Thirdly, something else that's always part of marriage preparation are some sort of project, unit, lesson on communication and resolving conflicts. So it is that there might be things to learn, such as um, what is the best day or best time of day to bring up heavy topics when everybody feels ready? Or maybe you want to consider um, exercises in listening, you know, speaking back to the other person you're talking to, a summary of what you heard from them which helps them to feel heard and also to correct any misunderstanding. I mean, you want to learn other techniques, such as keeping focused on the area that's under discussion and not go to lots of other areas. Or to learn how to, instead of saying accusing type of language like, you always do this, to say, well, I feel this. These and other ways can help us to communicate better. Maybe you want to set aside a special time for communication. Perhaps if it's a marriage, you want to participate in a marriage encounter weekend. Or something other than a marriage, you want to practice something similar. In a marriage encounter weekend, you go for a weekend, you're together with other couples, but you're really just communicating with each other. You hear a talk on some aspect of marriage, then each person writes in a journal about their feelings about that aspect, and then the couple together shares what they've written. You hear another talk on a different aspect, and the cycle repeats. You go through that cycle again and again through the weekend, breaking down barriers, sharing deeply sharing your hearts. 
You can do that in that such a weekend or maybe in a different way. Or finally, those who are members of the teams of Our Lady will set aside one of their practices is to set aside every month time for what they call the monthly sit-down. 60 to 90 minutes where the couple sits down and prayerfully talks with each other, reviewing what has passed, all the different aspects of their life for the past month, and looking ahead to what is coming. What do they want to do? What do they want to do differently? And by doing this every month, and we know that it can be hard, a challenge to find that time, but this opens the communication. In all of these ways, whether it be your marriage, your family, your neighborhood, your church, or your, the nation or the world, these are practical ways in which we may live in a manner worthy of the call we have received, that we may strive to preserve the unity of the Spirit, that we may resist division, but instead live out unity, and in that way, show the world that the Father has sent our Lord Jesus Christ. With confidence, let us pray for the church and for all people. That the Lord may guard his church from all evil, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. That the Lord may give his peace to the world, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. That God may have compassion on those who feel alone, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. That the Lord may give us happiness and peace, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. That throughout this day, God may direct and sanctify our thoughts, words, and actions. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. O Lord, we ask that you hear the prayer of your family and grant us the good things that we have asked of you through Christ our Lord. Amen. Lord, whose love in humble service bore the weight of human need, who did on the cross forsaken show us mercy's perfect deed, we, your servants, bring the worship, not a voice alone but heart, consecrating to your purpose every gift which you impart. Still your children wander homeless, still the hungry cry for bread, still the captives long for freedom, still in grief we mourn our dead. As, O Lord, your deep compassion heal the sick and free the soul, use the love your Spirit kindles still to save and make us whole. As we worship, grant us vision till your love's revealing light, till the height and depth and greatness dawns upon our human sight, making known the needs and burdens your compassion bids us bear, stirring us to faithful service, your abundant life to share. Pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. May the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands for the praise and glory of his name. 
for our good and the good of all his holy church. O God, who renew us in your image through your sacraments and your commandments, mercifully guide our footsteps in your paths, that through these sacrificial offerings which we bring, we may possess the gift of charity for which you have taught us to hope. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. It is truly right and just that we should give you thanks and praise, O God, Almighty Father, for all you do in this world through our Lord Jesus Christ. For though the human race is divided by dissension and discord, yet we know that by testing us, you change our hearts to prepare them for reconciliation. Even more by your Spirit, you move human hearts, that enemies may speak to each other again, adversaries join hands, and people seek to meet together. By the working of your power it comes about, O Lord, that hatred is overcome by love, revenge gives way to forgiveness, and discord is changed to mutual respect. Therefore, as we give you ceaseless thanks with the choirs of heaven, we cry out to your majesty on earth, and without end we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Abahod, Plenis Uncelia Terra, Gloria Tua, Hosanna in excelsis, Benedictus, qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. You, therefore, Almighty Father, we bless through Jesus Christ, your Son, who comes in your name. He himself is the word that brings salvation, the hand you extend to sinners, the way by which your peace is offered to us. When we ourselves had turned away from you on account of our sins, you brought us back to be reconciled, O Lord, so that converted at last to you, we might love one another through your Son, whom for our sake you handed over to death. And now, celebrating the reconciliation Christ has brought us, we entreat you, Sanctify these gifts by the outpouring of your Spirit, that they may become the body and blood of your Son, whose command we fulfill when we celebrate these mysteries. For when about to give his life to set us free, as he reclined at supper, he himself took bread into his hands, and giving you thanks, he said the blessing, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. In a similar way, on that same evening, he took the chalice of blessing in his hands, confessing your mercy and gave the chalice to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me.
Celebrating, therefore, the memorial of the death and resurrection of your Son, who left us this pledge of his love, we offer you what you have bestowed on us, the sacrifice of perfect reconciliation. Holy Father, we humbly beseech you to accept us also together with your Son, and in this saving banquet, graciously to endow us with his very Spirit, who takes away everything that estranges us from one another. May he make your church a sign of unity and an instrument of your peace among all people. And may he keep us in communion with Francis our Pope and Michael our Bishop and all the bishops and your entire people. Just as you have gathered us now at the table of your Son, so also bring us together with the glorious Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with your blessed apostles and all the saints, with our brothers and sisters and those of every race and tongue who have died in your friendship, Bring us to share with them the unending banquet of unity in a new heaven and a new earth where the fullness of your peace will shine forth in Christ our Lord. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. At the Savior's command and formed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy, we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. And with your spirit. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God, 
Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. Father, I pray for those who believe in me, that they may be one in us, so that the world may believe it was you who sent me, says the Lord. An act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Come my way, my truth, my life. Such a way as gives us breath, such a truth as ends all strife, such a life as killeth death. Come, my light, my feast, my strength, such a light as shows a feast, such a feast as men's in length, such a strength as makes his guest. Let us pray. O God, who renew in us your image through your sacraments and your commandments, mercifully guide our footsteps in your paths, that through these sacrificial offerings which we bring, we may possess the gift of charity for which you have taught us to hope through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. Glory. The Prayer to St. Michael St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, Cast into hell Satan 
and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg Thee, through the intercession and help of the Archangels, St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel, for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one, from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. Hi, I'm Patrick from St. Vincent de Paul Catholic Church. You're listening to AM 1430 KSHJ Houston, part of the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Every demonic 